Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance in showing up in liberation? What do they have to teach us about any of these things in the time of pandemic, in the time of righteous uprising against police brutality and white supremacy, and who we are meant to be to each other? Short answer, plenty. Keep on listening. My name is Seth Whispleway, and I am a pastor in the United Church of Christ. I use he and him pronouns. I am speaking with you all from Tucson, Arizona, which is located on the stolen, looted, and occupied land of the Tohono O'odham Nation and its people, who have stewarded this land for generations. We do well to acknowledge these things at a very minimum, in hope and prayer that our ideas and understandings of possession, property, and history unclench towards a radical repentance that ultimately leads to a radical re-understanding, use, and reclamation of these spaces we call church, home, and more, as the living God expects and requires. We are unstoppable. Another world is possible. We are living through something, beloved. Can you believe it? Even if you have wisely afforded yourself moments to pause and breathe it and mark the moments cascading by the hour, it can be understandably hard to truly comprehend this great reckoning we are living through, let alone the transformations that are both afoot and being called for. It's a lot. So first, let's take a moment to do just that. Pause. Breathe. Locate yourself in this moment. Orient yourself to your immediate surroundings. Whisper or say aloud, Here I am. When we do this, the name of the God who is love becomes our own, and we can posture ourselves in three ways. What do I need to let go of in this moment, this day, this week? How can I let be? What will be will come from who we are, what we've been able to let go of, and how we fuse with the visions and dreams of God or not. Let go, let be. And now, what do I hope to let come today? tomorrow, this year. This Trinitarian posture (laughs) is a wonderful way to begin each day after you first open your eyes, pause, and say, here I am, just as Moses chose to do when encountering that spontaneously combustible shrub. Here I am. Let go let be, let come, breathe. Okay, now then, 
While getting centered helps, it still leaves us with a lot to process once we're there. You're forgiven for not having all the answers on what's best to advocate for and why. Or maybe you feel you have access to the answers, but those you love and care for, whether family and friends, on social media and in real life, or your congregations you're a part of and or leading, maybe they're in desperate need of help sorting this all out. The people rising up want the impossible, you or they say, and the impulse is to shut down. Shutting down can look like different things. It can be a shrug, a going limp, or it can be a retrenchment to what was normal and comfortable before for us white folks. Yes, even us white folks dubbed liberal or progressive. We do the double down on the status quo's definitions of progress and reform, locked up from receiving the baptizing fire of God's spirit alive in this moment and through history. We laugh. No way, we say. It'll never happen. Well, the lectionary this week reminds us we're in good company when we laugh at what we deem impossible. You very well know the story. Abraham and Sarah, who have received the promise of a flourishing covenant with God, are told a child is on the way for them that will carry the people who love God and know God's love forward through time. That nations will rise up to manifest the dreams of God. Multitudes! And their response? They laugh. Abraham literally does a spit take and doubles over. Sarah does the snort gasp type of thing when she thinks no one, especially God, is listening. He at least needs Viagra. She's postmenopausal. Is God trolling them? Because this... Not just the idea that there'll be ancestors to everlasting multitudes of godly image bearers, but they will literally procreate the progenitor of them, is laughable. And remember, they know God. They know who they're talking to. Abraham fell on his face in supplication when the conversation started, and then quickly gets to playing perfect host with a special meal in the second version of this story in Genesis. The movement afoot to defund and abolish the police is now getting its reckoning in this moment of great reckoning. After three weeks and counting of worldwide protests sparked by the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Dion Johnson, and too many more, too many, the conversation is spreading and deepening about how, if, when, why, when it comes to dismantling the institutions and forces that, in the United States of America, are rooted in the slave patrols. And many are laughing. I don't mean necessarily literally, like the variations from a chuckle to a guffaw. Laughing, like Abraham and Sarah, in this moment, looks like many things. And I definitely don't just mean the flood of disdain, dreck, and diarrhea from the Fox News set. White liberals, 
from Capitol Hill to your friends on Facebook are in ample supply with pushes to pump the brakes on this idea that we can live and thrive without police. Never mind that nationwide the police have responded to anger and pain at decades of unchecked violence and brutality against BIPOC with unchecked violence and brutality. Never mind that we have defunded any number of programs and policies meant to aid and abet the human needs for life and a thriving society for all. Never mind that there is no form of protest that's ever been palatable to the machinations of empire and the white ruling class when their hold on power is threatened. Never mind that white people, especially those with means above the mean, already live in a quote-unquote reality that has effectively abolished the police from our lived lives. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. The real point to be made here is white liberals laughed at the prospect that chattel slavery could be abolished. White liberals laughed at the civil rights movement by telling its leaders to slow down or keep it more peaceful. Never mind that peaceful protesters were getting their skulls cracked and their humanity mocked by simply sitting on buses and at lunch counters. And in all of these circumstances and more, many identified as Christian. White folks are laughing now at what they say is the branding of defund the police. They are laughing at the tactics chosen by some protesters to make their anger, pain, and demands known. They are laughing at the idea that protests can affect change. Many of these people also identify as Christians. This is due in large part to the fact that white supremacy thrives on erasure and self-absolution. When we live in the warm bath of selective amnesia about history and how we got where we are, the very whisper of God's dreams will always seem too radical. But what many people have been saying for years, and by many people I especially mean black women, cannot be mistaken for or policed into a whisper, but is a shout. And what is some of the history that helps us in this moment? Too many accounts to count. It's also important to not just locate how we're postured in relation to how God moves in scripture, but also our own history. Here's one account I want to share with you. I've been reading James McPherson's Pulitzer Prize winning Battle Cry of Freedom, and I want to share the story of Theodore Parker and William and Ellen Craft. If you don't know their names and story already, buckle up. It's a decade plus before the Civil War, and the tensions and struggles around the enforcement of the Fugitive Slave Act are dramatically rising at federal and state levels. William and Ellen Craft worked and lived in Boston for two years after escaping slavery in Georgia. The Crafts joined the church of Theodore Parker, who was also head of the local vigilance committee and whose congregation included several other fugitive formerly enslaved persons. As soon as the Fugitive Slave Bill became law, the Crafts' former quote-unquote owner sent two agents to kidnap them. 
Boston was the communication center of abolitionism. Under the higher law doctrine, blacks and whites there had vowed to resist the fugitive slave law. So Parker hid Ellen in his house where he kept a loaded revolver on his desk. William went to ground in the house of a black abolitionist who kept two kegs of gunpowder on his front porch and a veritable arsenal in the kitchen. The Vigilance Committee hung posters describing the would-be slave catchers, harassed them in the streets, and they left for their own safety. President Fillmore threatened to send in federal troops and promised the craft's owner that he'd help him with all the means given by Constitution and Congress. But the Vigilance Committee put the crafts on a ship to England. Parker wrote to Fillmore, quote, I would rather lie all my life in jail and starve there than refuse to protect one of these parishioners of mine, the pastor told the president. You cannot think that I am to stand by and see my own church carried off to slavery and do nothing. Boston remained the cockpit of this new revolution. A little while later, a formerly enslaved person from Virginia who had taken the name of Shadrach was kidnapped while serving coffee where he was a waiter and whisked to the federal courthouse. While a handful of deputy federal marshals tried to guard Shadrach, a group of black men broke into the courtroom, overwhelmed the marshals, and snatched Shadrach, getting him on the Underground Railroad to Canada. Anger flared in the states while abolitionists exulted. Speaking to Shadrach's rescue, Pastor Parker wrote, I think it is the most noble deed done in Boston since the destruction of the tea in 1773. But conservative Boston papers branded the rescue an outrage, the triumph of mob law. President Fillmore was incensed and ordered the local district attorney to prosecute all aiders and abettors. A grand jury indicted four black and four white folks, but juries refused to convict them. An abolition headline wrote, an abolition newspaper headline read, Massachusetts safe yet, the higher law still respected. But then the federal government came even harder. And the story continued, just as it did for Abraham and Sarah and the birth of their son Isaac. And I highly recommend Battle Cry of Freedom, by the way. It's over 800 pages, but it reads quickly. Be the vigilance committee you wish to see in the world. Be the William Craft, Ellen Craft, and Pastor Parker you wish to see in the world. Be you. Be in this. If nothing else, however you resist and rise up, I hope you learn something new from our guiding scripture in this little history lesson and are encouraged being reminded that there's never a clean narrative to history, emancipation, and liberation. There is only us, our doubts, our hopes, our doubtful laughter, and our laughter at the doubters. We must carry the flame of the Pentecost spirit.
Don't lie on this moment. Don't say, as Sarah did, I did not laugh. It's a natural, understandable impulse. But when it comes to white supremacy, the truth is we have to interrogate our gut responses. We have to surface them. And we have to pop that boil and let it go. Our instinct is to feel uncomfortable at anything that dismantles the white supremacist systems that protect us at the expense of others. If the solutions aren't making us uncomfortable, then frankly, they're not going far enough in making the dreams of God true. If you or those you care for are laughing now, push into it and push back in the name of God who promises and does the quote-unquote impossible. We are the ones we have been waiting for. As followers of Jesus, we are called this way. Ones who profess that a poor, brown-skinned Palestinian Jew executed by the cops for peacefully protesting the empire they served is the way of hope and life for all. As a Twitter user I follow with the username GirlZiplocked puts it, this can't be overstated. The entire religion of Christianity is founded on people being profoundly pissed off that the cops killed an innocent black man. Get righteously pissed, beloved. Get righteously involved. Get righteously involved in the kingdom to come. Indeed, it is already here for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. The empire laughed at those who kept the flame of spirit and baptism alive in the story and way of Jesus. Until they didn't, because it wouldn't go away. And they tried to burn it down, persecuting, tear-gassing, batons, or at least with the Roman equivalent. And yet this remnant persisted, because early Christians knew the joke was on the police state, the punishing carceral system the modus operandi of domination and exclusion. And they still laugh, but we know how the story ends, or at least we claim to. The proof will be in whether we pray with our feet. The people of many nations are rising up, multitudes. We are now in such a moment. Will we laugh? Or will we join the multitudes clamoring, reimagining, proclaiming, and transforming? I want to close with a holy creed, one of my favorite poems, ripened especially for this Kairos moment. It's Imagine the Angels of Bread by Martina Spada. This is the year that squatters evict landlords gazing like admirals from the rail of the roof deck or levitating hands in praise of steam in the shower. This is the year that shawled refugees deport judges who stare at the floor and their swollen feet as files are stamped with their destination. This is the year that police revolvers stove hot Blister the fingers of raging cops and nightsticks splinter in their palms. This is the year that dark-skinned men lynched a century ago return to sip coffee quietly with the apologizing descendants of their executioners. This is the year 
that those who swim the borders undertow and shiver in boxcars are greeted with trumpets and drums at the first railroad crossing on the other side. This is the year that the hands pulling tomatoes from the vine uproot the deed to the earth that sprouts the vine. The hands canning tomatoes are named in the will that owns the bedlam of the cannery. This is the year that the eyes stinging from the poison that purifies toilets awaken at last to the sight of a rooster-loud hillside, pilgrimage of immigrant birth. This is the year that cockroaches become extinct, that no doctor finds a roach embedded in the ear of an infant. This is the year that the food stamps of adolescent mothers are auctioned like gold doubloons and no coin is given to buy machetes for the next bouquet of severed heads in coffee plantation country. If the abolition of slave manacles began as a vision of hands without manacles, then this is the year. If the shutdown of extermination camps began as imagination of a land without barbed wire or the crematorium, then this is the year. If every rebellion begins with the idea that conquerors on horseback are not many-legged gods, but that they too drown if plunged in the river, then this is the year. So may every humiliated mouth, teeth like desecrated headstones, fill with the angels of bread. I'm embedding in this transcript a link right here to ample resources for imagination, activation, and liberation for realizing the abolition of police and white supremacist systems that equip them. Please check it out. The resources contained in there will help you, the people you care about, all of us better imagine and act on our deeper understanding of the holy call to defund and abolish the police and move forward dismantling white supremacy in all its forms. I hope all of you listening, especially us white folks, are proactively locating ourselves in this moment of history as living embodiments of solidarity, accompaniment, and bold truth-tellers, following the lead and witness of black organizers and voices in our respective communities. The work is long, costly, and taxing, but oh, so liberating. We need each other, and that means being rooted in the deep abiding love of who God is for us, even and especially when we don't believe the outcomes and dreams God shares with us. We might laugh because of the realities we've lived in our whole lives, and because we're tired, and because we're uncomfortable with the unknown, but we must live to fight another day. Thy kingdom to come is only a joke when we forget the hands and feet we are called to be in the struggle, which means starting today and tomorrow with, here I am, let go, let be, let come. Imagine those angels of bread, beloved. What in your life, in your congregations, 
in your workplaces, in your schools, needs to be cast off to manifest the visions of God that defund and abolish the police and the violent systems that enable them? What can you let be, become in their stead? What will you do to activate that new world until it comes? Now get going. Defund and abolish the police. Black Lives Matter. These are not slogans, but ways of living with gospel specificity. And we will have the last laugh. Amen? May it be so. Word is Resistance is designed to be a resource for white people who are realizing that following Jesus in this time and in this country means listening to, learning from, and joining in with the struggle against racism and white supremacy. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith. Surge stands for showing up for racial justice. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement you're hearing on this recording is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. As always, the transcript this week will include... A bunch of resources at the end to support your action. Let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. Make sure you're subscribed. In this bold new moment, Surge is unrolling regular potent resources for all of us to engage with and act on, following the lead of the Movement for Black Lives. Stay tuned. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org. And our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Be sure to give this episode a like or rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, links, and copyright information. Special thanks to our sound editor this week, Max Pearl. I'll leave you with a modified Franciscan benediction. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at white supremacy and all injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, racism, misogyny, queerphobia, war, xenophobia, COVID-19, and more, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them 
and embody solidarity until their pain is turned into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. <laughs>